Father, this morning we thank you that there is no one better than you. No one more holy than you. No one more loving. No one more caring. No one more just. This morning we can sing songs, even new songs like this, to praise you. And Father, as we worship you in song, now we turn to your word. We pray that our hearts would be open to what you have to accomplish in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you here this morning, and uh, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, Pastor Brian is uh, doing some vacation time, as I understand. We're getting reports that he's um, renovating his bathroom, remodeling his, his bathroom. And um, so he'll be back next week, and I'm, I'm Pastor Dallas, and I'm happy to be able to share with you this morning. And uh, just by way of a couple announcements, we just wanted to let you know that uh, somewhere in your seat there should be a little connection card, and uh, you can fill that out if you'd like, and it just helps us to know that you're here, and there's prayer requests that can be taken on there, and we'd love to pray for you throughout the week. And this is even something that uh, you can go to our homepage and uh, uh, fill that out online if you'd like to, and uh, just to, to stay connected. So we'd encourage you to do that. And also, we'd encourage you, if you're not involved in a small group, it's a great place to get connected, fellowship with other Christians around God's Word together. You can sign up for that in the hub or let us know on that connection card. Um, the hour before this at 9 o'clock, we have some classes going on. And uh, we'd encourage you and welcome you to come to those as well. Uh, this, uh, uh, I guess next week, we have a membership class that's going to be available um, October 18th at 11.45 after this service next week. If that's something that uh, you would like to take that step to formalize your commitment, not only to the Lord, but to this church and this fellowship, um, you're more than welcome to come to that, find out what that's about. And um, again, you can let us know on that connection card or just give the office a call and uh, we can tell you more information about that. So um, this morning, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John uh, chapter 3, the Gospel of John, a passage that is familiar to most of us, and uh, we want to talk about the new birth. This is one of those topics that can be emphasized several times in the course of a year uh, because it's, it's just so very important for us to consider. And uh, we're at the preeminent passage about the new birth and the doctrine of regeneration, and we're learning it from Jesus himself, from his teaching in John chapter 3. And I have to say, personally, for me, it's taken me some time in my Christian walk to realize just how vital and important uh, this passage is. And I've also realized from this passage, the Lord just has something new to teach me every time I come and learn from this text of Scripture. And I think that's our prayer for all of us this morning, that the Lord would be teaching us. So please join me, if you would, in reading John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, we do not want to take it for granted. We need this time to examine ourselves before you, and may your word be the mirror to our lives that we need, and may we not only hear your word preached, but may we apply that word to our hearts. And we confess to you that we need your word in our life more than we need food for our bodies. We ask that you would encourage us as a church, strengthen us in the faith, and we ask that you would protect us from the evil one. And we know that it is Satan's intention to hurt and destroy, to snatch the seeds of the word from our hearts, but we ask instead, Father, that as the seeds of your word fall onto our hearts, that they would take root and that they would grow and that they would bear much fruit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, to give us a a running start on this passage this morning, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's recently just overthrown the money changers in the temple. And now he's still in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And in in chapter 2, verses 23 and following, um, He's probably been here a couple weeks still, and he's been performing miracles at these festivals, and the crowds are gathering, and he's doing miracles like casting out demons and healing people, and it says that people were apparently expressing a curiosity in who Jesus Christ was, but they were not displaying a genuine faith. And so that sets the stage for this conversation that's about to take place between Nicodemus and Jesus himself about the new birth. And so there is this term, born-again Christian. You've probably heard it. It's a term that Christians use to describe themselves. And maybe you've heard someone say, well, I'm not an ordinary Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. Or I'm a born-again believer. And I think as we think about that term for a moment, we realize that to say born-again Christian is actually redundant. It's like saying a four-sided square. You don't need to say it's four sides. Everyone knows it's four sides. And if you are a Christian, 
it does mean that you are born again. And in our passage this morning, we see that Jesus used this term, born again, as a defining characteristic of a believer. And so there's this man named Nicodemus, and he approaches Jesus at night. We have this conversation written between the two of them. I've entitled the sermon this morning, The Man with a Fatal Flaw. Although at our last staff meeting, someone suggested we could have called this Nick at Night. Either way, there's important lessons for us to learn. In this passage, Jesus gives an answer to Nicodemus when Nicodemus never asked the question. You must be born again, or you'll never see the kingdom of God. And before he said those words, he said these words, truly, truly. All statements made by Jesus are true, right? Well, there's some statements that carry greater consequence. And this is one of those statements. And so Jesus prefaces what he says with the words truly, truly, or verily, verily, or amen, amen. Because some words are of supreme importance. He says in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 11, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. Jesus is saying something here that is of supreme importance, as if to say, if you weren't listening before, now is the time to listen. From the very first paragraphs of Scripture that we find in the book of Genesis, we discover that God is a magnificent creator, that he can bring something from nothing. He can take a photon of light that he created, that it can nourish and grow a plant that produces a fruit that feeds us. And it is amazing. But the greatest work that Jesus does in this world is the work of the new birth where he raises up spiritual life in the soul of a sinner. It's the greatest work that Jesus does. More amazing than a baby being born physically is a person being reborn spiritually. And more amazing than someone being a part of an earthly family far greater is for someone to be a member of the spiritual family of God. This is the first time that we hear of this man named Nicodemus. Who is he? He just shows up in this passage, and who he is is central to our understanding of what the, birth, the new birth is. So who is this man? And if we were to summarize him in just one word, that word might be impressive. Or that word might be influential. That word might be respectable. Because this passage tells us that he was, first of all, a Pharisee. In verse 1. And we think negatively today about Pharisees, but you would have a different perspective if you lived in the first century. Because Pharisees loved the law. They lived the law. 
They were devoted to the law. They loved the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees wanted to please God, and they were strict in their obedience to the law. They desired to obey the Torah, the law, that they even made rules around it, rabbinical rules as a fence to protect the law itself. A Pharisee would be the kind of person that you'd want for a neighbor. I mean, think about it. They wouldn't steal your stuff, right? You could trust a Pharisee with your house key, right? I mean, a Pharisee might even mow your lawn for you if it's not the Sabbath, right? But a Pharisee would also love to read their Bibles, and they'd immerse themselves in verse after verse, the Word of God, they'd memorize it. They loved the heroes of the Old Testament, Abraham the patriarch, Moses the lawgiver, the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They, they loved that. They were experts in the scriptures. As one person put it, they believed in chapter and verse before there was chapter and verse. And they taught the Bible. And for Nicodemus, he wasn't just any teacher. This passage says he was the teacher of Israel. Chapter or Verse 10. He was the preeminent teacher. He was the teacher of the teachers. And if you had a question about the scriptures that no one else could answer, go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows. The word Pharisee means separate ones. And so they lived morally clean lives and they were unstained from the world around them. A Pharisee was better than the other religious groups in Judaism at the time. Those other groups were compromisers like the Sadducees who gave in to the religious beliefs of the Romans at that time to accommodate the religious beliefs of them. And the Pharisees themselves, they were purists. They were devoted to their religion. We also learned that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. It says he was a ruler in verse 1. And this means that not only was he a Pharisee, but that he had risen through the ranks to become a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of 70 men that would rule the nation of Israel. And it was like the Supreme Court and the Senate combined into one. And so Nicodemus had climbed into the upper levels of power and influence. So Nicodemus was impressive. He was influential. He was respectable. But Nicodemus had a fatal flaw. And I put it on the screen for you. Because don't miss this. His fatal flaw was this. He thought of himself as a good person who could earn his way into the kingdom of God. He thought of himself as a good person who could earn his way into the kingdom of God, and that was his fatal flaw. And so having everything, he had nothing. He thought keeping the law would justify him before God, and so he stood outside, outside the kingdom of God, and this tells us a great deal about what it means to be born again. To understand what it means to be born again, 
you first of all have to understand what it means to not be born again. And I want to give you three things this morning because being born again is not, first of all, doing religious things. I was raised in church. And I tell people, if there was a light on in the church, I was probably there. And some of you can relate to that. In fact, there was a time when I was at the church and the lights were out because a tornado went through and knocked out the power. So there I was in church without the lights on. And I'll tell you, I felt like I grew up in the church. And I have to tell you this morning, I am thankful to be raised in the church. But being religious is not the same as being born again. The Pharisees were religious and the Pharisees were lost. Nicodemus was religious and Nicodemus was lost. And you might be here this morning and you might be the most religious person here and yet lost. You might work in the church. You might serve in the children's ministries. You might have the best attendance record for Awana. You might have changed more diapers in the nursery than anyone else here. You might be the best tither. You might be a Sunday school teacher. You might sing on the worship team. You may even be an elder or a deacon, or you may have preached a sermon. You may invite people to church. You might be a charter member of East Bay Calvary Church, and yet not be born again. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Because you can be religious and completely lost and on your way to hell. Hell will be full of religious people. Being born again is not doing religious things. Being born again is also number two, not knowing the right theology. In verse 2, this man Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one could do these things that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus had a fatal flaw, but not knowing the right theology was not one of his flaws because in this statement, he was spot on in his theology. Signs and miraculous signs in the Bible were given by God to certain people to authenticate their message he had studied this in the Old Testament. He knew this. He saw Jesus' miracles. He knew that a false teacher was not capable of miracles. And so he knew that Jesus was from God because of these things. And that's impressive. You see, Nicodemus was a brilliant and great theologian. You see, Pharisees were the conservatives in the religious mix of Judaism. And so they were protectors of orthodoxy. They were defenders of the truth, but if we were to put it simply, a Pharisee was someone who knew the right things about God, and yet he himself was far from God. Because having the right knowledge is not enough. Then you might be here this morning, and you might be an expert in Bible theology. You might be able to write encyclopedias about Bible theology. You might know the difference between consubstantiation and transubstantiation. You might know the theory of substitutionary penal atonement, and you can go through the list of all the things. But there's a difference between knowing something and possessing something. And we might be able to express the truths about the Trinity 
and yet not be saved. This is something we need to think long and hard about for a moment. And what I want to say to you next, I'll again put on the screen, because I want you to think about this. Salvation requires believing the truth about the Trinity, Christ, faith, the cross, and resurrection, but a person can know the right theology and still not be saved. Because there's a difference between knowing and possessing. And even though there's a place for right theology and study, it never ends unto itself. Number three, being born again is not claiming to be born again. Being born again is not claiming to be born again. Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, you must say that you're born again. You must claim that you're born again. He didn't say that. He said, you must be born again. Nearly anyone can claim that they're born again. Several years ago, Larry Flint, who was a publisher of a pornographic magazine, made the claim that he was born again, and then he continued to publish his magazine. And within his magazine, he advocated for what he called the free love ethic, that, there, that if there's love involved, then it's okay to do whatever you choose. And yet he claimed to be born again. It's not surprising later on, he became an atheist. But just claiming to be born again does not change a person's life. Just claiming to be born again does not change a person's life. You can raise your hand, you can fill out a card, you can walk an aisle. Those things might accompany being born again, but those things are not being born again. There's a difference of a life that's lived before being born again between a life that's lived after being born again. The life that you live before being born again is lived for yourself, for the devil, and for your own desires. But the life lived for Jesus Christ is lived for him, for his kingdom, and his glory. And Jesus wanted to make it clear in this verse, it's not about what you claim, it's about what you actually are. Because I can claim that I'm eight feet tall. But claiming that I'm eight feet tall does not make me eight feet tall. What makes me eight feet tall is actually if I am eight feet tall. And let me just say, I'm glad I'm not eight feet tall. You can claim that you're born again, but Jesus said, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And one of the dangers of growing up in a Christian family, growing up in the church, is that you can be surrounded with people that think you're a Christian, they assume you're a Christian, they treat you like a Christian, but one thing they never really ask you is, are you a Christian? Have you been born again? When did you become a Christian? And soon you can make assumptions about yourself because other people are making assumptions about you. And this morning, my intention is not to create doubt in your heart, but to give confidence where genuine faith exists. And as we think about all that we are saying about what being born again is not, think about this for a second. A person can have all the right ideas about God. They can be heavily involved in religious activity. 
They can claim they're a Christian, and yet they can be as lost as the most rebellious and worst sinner. You see, it's easy. It's easy to be like Nicodemus. Hell will be populated with religious people who spent their days and hours attending church. Hell will be populated with many who knew about God, but they didn't know God, just like Nicodemus. And so it's important to understand what being born again is not. It's vitally important, but it also causes us to ask another question, and that is, what is being born again? What does it mean to be born again? Well, first of all, being born again is absolutely necessary. Being born again is absolutely necessary. Verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the word unless should get our attention because this word, it signals a, a necessary condition. Something has to happen before something else will happen. And Jesus here phrases this in the negative to make a point, and these, these words, they pierced and stripped Nicodemus to the heart. Because in one word from Jesus' mouth, a lifetime of work was gone. It's absolutely necessary to be born again, to see God's kingdom, to be saved, to enter into heaven, into God's presence, because the kingdom of God is the realm of salvation where the king of king rules by his goodness and his grace. It's, it's in order to belong to that kingdom. It's simple. The necessary condition is you have to be born again. I recently heard what Steve Lawson said about evangelist George Whitfield. <clears throat> this is what he said. George Whitfield was a great evangelist who traveled up and down the eastern seacoast preaching in the 1740s, 1750s, and 60s. And he had a sermon that he trumpeted all over this nation in the Great Awakening in the early colonies. It was on the nature and necessity of the new birth. And Whitfield preached the new birth, and basically our country was born out of the flames of the Great Awakening. Whitfield has been called the true founding father of America, more people saw Whitfield than ever saw George Washington. And one day a woman came up to him and said, Mr. Whitfield, why do you keep saying to us, you must be born again? To which Mr. Whitfield said, Dear woman, because you must be born again. What Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says to us, we must be born again. You know, the new birth, it's the biggest event that'll ever happen in your life. It's bigger than college. It's bigger than a marriage. It's bigger than your career choice. It's bigger than the day you were born. It's bigger than the day you die because it is the day that God implants new life in your soul and gives you eternal life. Number two, being born again is internal transformation. Being born again is internal transformation. Many years ago, uh, there was a preacher named Henry Ward Beecher who had a 
a clock in his church, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't keep very good time. It was <clears throat> always too fast or, or too slow. <clears throat> and so he fiddled with it month after month, just trying to get it right. And it became a standard topic of conversation within in the church. And finally, in desperation, he put a sign over the clock that said this, Don't blame the hands. The trouble lies deeper. What can be true of clocks is always true of people. With people, the trouble always lies deeper. And for all the Pharisees had right, they had one thing very wrong. They thought that sin is what you do, and therefore salvation is also what you do. Wrong. Salvation is not what I do. It's what God does for my sinful heart. And a Pharisee wouldn't give a thought about their heart. Because for them it was all about the externals of religion. And sin is not just actions. It's thoughts and desires and evil desires. It's envy it's jealousy, it's lust, it's anger, it's attitude. And if the truth be known, even the best of men are the worst of men if you look at the heart. Because anyone can look impressive on the outside. But take a moment to look inside. In Psalm 51, 6, it says, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so here Nicodemus responds to Jesus. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus here is trying to understand what is Jesus teaching. He's confused. What does this mean? And either one of two things is happening. is Either he's thinking completely on a physical level and trying to understand how a person can physically be born again. And that's why he asks, how can he reenter his mother's womb? But there's another explanation, and that might be that Nicodemus knows exactly what he's saying here. He was a Jewish teacher. He knew about analogies and figures of speech and symbols. And so he's responding to Jesus as if to say, how can a man go back and change years and years of religious training and practice that was all built on my own efforts? I'm an old man. How can an old man change? How can he be born when he's old? As if to say, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? And it's all getting back to this question. How can a person be changed by God? Tennyson wrote, Oh, for a man to rise in me that the man I am might cease to be. And the problem is not that I don't understand the need to change. It's that I don't know how to change. 
Nicodemus had gotten it right in a way. I mean, for a person to change is as difficult as a grown man to be reborn. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because Jesus provides the answer. How does a person change? He said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. What does it mean to be born of water? One thing we know that it doesn't mean is it, it doesn't mean baptism. Because that topic's not mentioned anywhere in this passage, and that wouldn't make any sense. I mean, the thief on the cross was never baptized, and yet Jesus said, to me, you'll, you'll, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there are two things to consider as we interpret this. The first thing is the word that's between water and spirit. It's the word chi in Greek, and it can be translated and, it can be translated even, also. And the second thing to remember here is that water was often used as a metaphor for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. To signify spiritual washing and cleansing, the very same idea that's referenced in Titus chapter 3, where it says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The regeneration of our souls, the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we could think of this phrase as saying, unless one is born of water, even the Spirit, unless one is born of water, through the cleansing and washing ministry of the Spirit. Why? Because our heart is dirty. The point is, the new birth is something that takes place inside of you, and it dramatically and radically transforms your life. It cleanses your soul because our hearts are dirty. That is why there's pornography. That's why there's dirty books and dirty magazines and dirty music and dirty television shows and the endless defilement that comes from the internet. That's why there's dirty jokes, dirty words, because it all caters to the condition and defilement of our hearts. The heart that was given to you at your first birth, and that's why you need a second birth a birth from above. And the truth is that we let out the things we want to let out and we hide the things we want to hide. And if the secrets of the heart were revealed for all to see, there would be shame. And the problem of the heart is not brokenness or pain or trauma. Those aren't biblical words. The problem is sin and wickedness and rebellion and depravity. We don't need an external transformation. We need an internal transformation. We need the washing of the Spirit for our, our souls. And number three, the being born again is spirit-initiated. Spirit-initiated. Verse 7 and 8 
Jesus says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We had the metaphor of water being a ministry of the Holy Spirit, and now we have the metaphor of the wind and the ministry of the Spirit. One day this summer was a day that I'll remember as the best day of 2020. There's a lot of challenging days in 2020, isn't it? But this was the best day I had. Our family went down to Sleeping Bear Dunes, and we went to the beach on a day when the wind was howling in. And the waves were crashing, four-foot waves, five-foot waves, six-foot waves, crashing and pounding against the shore. And while the girls stood on the side of the shore, the boys and I went right in the middle of the waves. And we were getting pummeled and pounded and launched from these waves. And we stood with the wind and the water spraying in our face. We felt like we were on top of the world. I hadn't had that much fun since high school. It was amazing. It was better than the ocean. We laughed and we laughed and we laughed with every wave that hit us. And then a couple days later, we went back to the beach and it was calm. No waves, no wind. It was gone. Where did it go? Where did it go? You know, the wind blows where it wishes. And we don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can't control the wind. You can't manipulate the wind. The weatherman doesn't control the wind. You can't manage it. You can't predict it. You can't schedule it. It's the same with the Spirit. You can't schedule the Spirit. You can't manipulate the Spirit. You can't predict the Spirit. You can't produce the Spirit. You don't know from where the Spirit comes or goes. And Nicodemus wanted to control his salvation. He wanted to predict it. He wanted to manage it. He wanted to produce it. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No man can come to me unless the Father which has sent him draws me. It's hard not to be in control of your personal destiny, your eternal destiny. But it's the first step in understanding where the source of your salvation rests. It's not with me, but it's with God. And so the question can be asked, what does a person do like Nicodemus who is looking for this new birth? Do we... Just wait? Do we just 
hope for the hope for the best no because this is this is the mystery of god this is the amazing ministry of god because god says to those who knock the door will be open when you draw near to god god draws near to you John 6:37 says, "He that comes to me, I will not cast away." And when you plead with God to give you life, he will not deny you. And for the Christian that may be here this morning, how important is it that we remember that this is the way that, that God saved us. I can't think of anything more important that'll give me praise and appreciation within my life. I can't think of anything more important that'll empower me to live the life that God calls me to live than to understand that this is the way that God saved me. And so I live my life for him, the one who gave his life for me. I close with John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you realize that you have not been born again, do not wait. Respond to the Spirit's work in your life. Believe in Christ. Repent. Turn from your sins and turn to the Savior who can give eternal life and start the work of rebirth in your heart. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you that there was a man like Nicodemus who came to you at night and that you gave him the one thing that he needed most, and that was the truth about his condition before you. And may we understand what our condition is, what our condition was before you, that we are hopelessly lost, and yet you've wonderfully saved those who put their faith in you. So Lord, we ask that you would give us the power that we need each day to live the life that you've called us to live. We love you. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for coming this morning and uh, worshiping together as we have sung, as we worship together in the Word. And uh, we just want to remind you as you go from this place, God goes with you. And he gives you the power to live the life 
that he calls you to live, not from the outside, but from the inside, as he continues to work in our lives. So take that with you this week. We want you to know that we love you, we care about you, and we're glad that we can worship together. So thanks for coming. You're dismissed. We'll see you.